Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today. Thank you for taking time to be with us as we help public, private, and nonprofit organizations tackle important broadband issues in getting broadband everywhere it needs to be. Today, we're actually addressing a, a topic that we've covered before, which is bro- broadband co-ops. And um, community co-ops were largely responsible for bringing electricity uh, to many parts of the U.S. at the beginning of the last century. And what you had was communities that otherwise may not have received electricity for many, many years were able to get it uh, quickly thanks to these co-ops. And so as we get fully into the uh, current century here, um, it looks like history is repeating itself and co-ops are, again, turning out to be the best hope for many communities to get another vital utility, which is broadband access, into their communities. So our guest today is uh, Frank Ortman, who's the general manager of Internet3, and this is going to be a really exciting uh, show because we're going to talk about a new a uh, new entity, a, a, a regional co-op, and which will basically bring a lot of the smaller co-ops working in Colorado together under one umbrella. Now, I'm not going to steal his thunder, but let me just introduce uh, Frank and say, hey, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Craig, and darn glad to be here. All righty. So let's start with what's the state of broadband in the state of Colorado? And I'm glad you asked that. And uh, in my previous position working at uh, the Colorado Broadband Data and Development, which was a state broadband initiative uh, program, uh, we not only did broadband mapping, but we also did extensive validation of broadband mapping data as provided to us by service providers by doing surveys and speed tests. And uh, what we've basically found, I'll greatly simplify, is that for the most part, outside of Colorado's front range, there is no broadband as defined by the FCC as 4 megabit per second down, 1 megabit per second up. We might find the occasional positive speed test, and we assume that that's somewhere close to the uh, central office or uh, uh, that sort of thing. But overall, there is no broadband outside of our our urban-suburban communities. Outside of the urban suburban communities, that that's uh, what sixty seventy percent of the state. Then that's about eighty percent live in the the front range between Fort Collins and Pueblo. So the other twenty percent of the population do not have access to broadband. Whoa, that's um, that's interesting. That's I didn't realize it was that uh, that stark. You know, I think a lot of the focus has been on. Uh, some of the states down south and, and West Virginia and stuff that has poor uh, adoption rates, but it sounds bleak there. So, so um, what, uh, it, it is. What, what what steps before you left was the state taking, and then we can you know segue from that into what Internet Three is all about. Right, and uh, the approach is, of course, to study, do the mapping, and assess that. And uh, and the what the state of Colorado in its grant application to the NTIA uh, established that uh, the state would form four pilot local technology planning teams in those uh, affected areas of the state and uh, over time um, determine the lessons learned from those four pilot projects and then grow the uh, local technology planning team concept uh, statewide. Uh, 
And uh, it was very interesting. We had a get-together of our local technology planning teams in Breckenridge uh, two weeks ago at an event we called Mountain Connect. And thank you, Corey Brendel, for putting that on. Anyway, um, I, I was, took pleasure in showing that at the Mountain Connect of last year, 2011, we had the four local technology planning team pro pilot projects. But this year, we are at 17 local technology planning teams, covering some 40 counties out of Colorado's 64 counties. And those are mostly uh, covering rural and remote uh, communities of our state. So uh, the, this is a fantastic uh, uh, start, is just creating these teams, building the awareness at the local level, and building kind of grassroots support for improving the broadband environment. And usually what I found in my meetings, my initial uh, introductory get-togethers, uh, founding a local technology planning team, is I give brother, what I call Brother Frank's Sermon of the Seven a's and then ask people okay folks what do you think the problem is here uh, from a technology perspective and usually it keeps coming back to a middle mile and we're just hurting for middle mile there's an incumbent middle mile thanks to uh, the incumbent telephone companies but other than that we do not have what I call redundant abundant affordable middle mile services this is the strategic issue we do not have abundant redundant affordable middle mile services. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about um, Internet 3 and then go into the seven A's, or is it better to start with the gospel and then go to Internet uh, 3? Let's, uh, well, Brother Craig, let's start out with the gospel, the seven A's, and I'll then, then run preach on. <laughs> okay, so uh, A number one, aggregate experience. And so this is kind of my lesson of uh, how do I form a team. And at first I, I had to do cold calling to get uh, the right people to put together the first four teams. But after that, people called me saying, I've got a group here. Can we be a local technology planning team? So I say aggregate experience. And you usually want people who have been activists in previous broadband initiatives. Uh, as you might imagine, they know where the bodies are buried, what worked and what didn't work. You want elected officials. And usually it's uh, people who are IT personnel at the school district the hospital, the county, uh, et cetera, that know that they've got a problem and that they're being pushed by the elected officials to do that. And did I mention elected officials? You definitely want them on board. They control uh, the, the budgets in those communities, and they're the, uh, the community leaders. You definitely want them on board. And you certainly can't do anything without local service providers. Usually in our communities, those are wireless Internet service providers that are trying to do a, a service completely independent of the public switch telephone network. A number two is assess the broadband environment, and that's it can, can do a range. One team uh, actually hired a consultant, and they are actually two or three uh, actually hired uh, engineers to uh, assess everything, should we say, soup to nuts in terms of telecommunications infrastructure. Uh, does the the central office have fiber coming to it? Um, what uh, service providers are available in the area? Do you have cable modem service? Do you have DSL? Do you have wireless ISP? How good is your uh, your cellular uh, data coverage. And then the, uh, the third A is to assess demand. And that's basically saying, well, what speeds are people buying now and what would they like to get? And many times that's turned up as, well, they might be getting 500 kilobit down, 200 kilobit up on their uh, telephone company DSL service, uh, regardless of where they're at, how close they might be to the central office or a DSL uh, uh, access module. Um, 
Then the third A is to aggregate demand. It's kind of a matter of, okay, people, you're telling me that your Internet stinks. We did the surveys. We did the speed test. We know your Internet stinks. You do not have broadband, and you need broadband for economic development, health care, education, and public safety. And uh, what are we going to do now? And so it's kind of, uh, well, if I brought you service, how much would you buy and what would you be willing to pay for it? And furthermore, here's your pre-sale contract so that, yes, if someone builds this, yes, you will contractually come uh, to, to the service. Therefore, building a very simple economic model like uh, any uh, uh uh, public, excuse me, private sector service provider would do as a market survey. What would you pay? When you know? When would you like it? That sort of thing. Aggregate, man. Then we uh, we go on to aggregate the resources that we might already have. Chiefly, the problem uh, for service providers is capital expenditure. It just costs a lot of money to say trench fiber a uh, hundred miles, let's say, and uh, at, at twenty-five thousand dollars a mile. Yeah, that'd be two and a half million dollars. That's a lot of money for a rural community. So then uh, we have to look at other uh, scenarios as to um, could we use microwave? And if we use microwave, uh, who has uh, an existing tower? Does the sheriff's department have a tower? Does the fire protection district have a tower? And are there uh, elements uh, of telecom infrastructure that are already uh, resident in the community that the community could make available to a private sector service provider that would then cut the capital expenditure necessary to bring broadband to that community? Uh, the next A, and that's A number, we're up to A number six now, is aggregate solutions. Okay, what's actually going to solve this? Is it a microwave middle mile provider in partnership with a fixed wireless last mile provider, which in most cases in our rural and remote communities, that's the only uh, system that will work. That's the only economics that work in these markets. And we start to then court those, uh, those service providers, help them with uh, de demand aggregation studies show them that, you know what, um, contrary to what other people might think, the aggregate demand for this town of 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 might be four or five gigabit. And uh, now we're talking some money as far as what the market is. And would you like to come in and service our community and hopefully make money? And then the final or the seventh A is aggregate sustainability. Hey, great, somebody built it and somebody's operating here. And, but the question is, how do we keep them here? How do we keep this working so that uh, this isn't a flash in the pan, that it's here for a couple of years and it goes away? And we have to look at different uh, market or economic models to make that work. The one that we usually come back to is co-ops, electric co-ops or the rural telephone co-ops. And to your point, yes, those kind of started in the um, early uh, 20th century and uh, really got uh, a push in the, uh, at the end of the New Deal with the Rural Electrification Act of 1938. And it's almost invariably a question. I say, okay, so who's the electric company? Well, it's Sangre de Cristo Electric or it's Mountain Parks Electric Co-op. And uh, gosh, how long have they been around? Oh, since the 30s. Uh, do you think that's a, a model of sustainability? Yep. Uh, we couldn't think of anybody in private sector other than, say, a ranching family that had been around since 1938. So uh, there's uh, this community-based model of community-owned, operated um, 
uh, co-op is the way forward for this in terms of sustainability. As we see with, and again, it keeps coming back to broadband is a utility. Get used to it. Just like electricity, water, fire protection, roads, etc. So you, the elected officials, the community leaders, need to just get used to it and start planning accordingly. Whoa. There's a lot there, um, which then really segues to the uh, discussion on um, Internet 3. So let's talk about Internet 3. Where where did this germinate from, and what's its state today? Yeah, well, we keep, um, as with the 17 local technology planning teams, what uh, I had to do as uh, in my role uh, working for the state is try to move them beyond what I called broadband coffee clutch, which is how most of them had started and then invited me to uh, connect with them and facilitate their growth uh, beyond what I call broadband coffee clutch into a more sustainable planning uh, body. And uh, that is then morphing into um, uh, 501c3s and 501c12 uh, nonprofits. 501c3 is a charitable organization, and 501c12 is a utility uh, nonprofit. And uh, in the case of San Luis Valley, which is six counties in our south central part of the region, which has four of our persistent poverty counties, and that was our first uh, co-op that we established, calling it the uh, San Luis Valley Broadband Cooperative. And uh, they've done some incredible things, uh, namely around the town of Crestone, where they've uh, built the, had, had a microwave provider come to them, bringing them uh, upwards of a gigabit per second of uh, microwave if they need it. And the town mayor established a, uh, an LLC, limited liability company, to uh, be the, the vehicle for his uh, wireless Internet service provider. And uh, he went around town, raised uh, $100,000 from 50 local investors, got another $100,000 from the um, uh, Economic Development District. Uh, he's about halfway through his, uh, well, more than halfway through the 200 uh, pre-sale contracts that he has. And uh, when he hits 300 subscribers, which we're sure he'll do before Labor Day, uh, he will be cash flow positive. And so they've built this kind of a community model that grew out of uh, the, the San Luis Valley Broadband Cooperative. And we're just seeing these as uh, working models for for the rest of the, the community, so uh, the rest of the state. So um, it's a, these, to answer your question, these co-ops have already kind of uh, are in place. There's one in uh, Gunnison County has established the, the Gunnison Regional Broadband Co-op. We expect something coming out of the northwest corner of the state uh, to go public in the next week or so. And so it's one of those lead, follower, get the heck out of the way. So uh, Internet 3 is then set up as each of these rural communities establishes their own very local co-op. Now here's my three-part mantra. All solutions are local, no one size fits all, and it doesn't cost millions of dollars to bring broadband to your rural or remote community. So if you stick to those three as your encouraging uh, mantra, uh, we see all these uh, regional, um, I should say, local co-ops, and then Internet 3 is the umbrella organization that uh, has the, the engineering uh, resources, will raise money, and uh, it, we will be going uh, public with this very shortly as far as uh, how we then use Internet 3 as a means of facilitating uh, local communities in improving the broadband environment. Hmm. 
Well, that seems pretty um pretty ambitious. What's like what are kind of like the early steps of uh, bringing this together. I mean, in some respects, it's similar to regional projects where you bring together, say, 15, 20, or like in western Massachusetts, 45 different townships together. And you have to deal with the fact that these are were basically standalone entities that have their own governance and so forth. And the effort is to bring them all together under one banner and move them forward as a group. Co-ops obviously are not city governments, but at the same time, they are independent entities. So in the beginning, what do you do to kind of move this thing to from idea to reality? Yeah, initially what we're going to ask for is uh, pilot projects. So we're going to ask our member communities to bring us uh, tasks, if you will. And, you know, is that task uh, the town of Poncha Springs, Salida, Uray, Telluride, uh, what have you? Come to us at, at the co-op with your project and let us focus on your project and uh, do the, the necessary engineering studies, the necessary planning. Uh, use the, the, the various means of getting it funded. And we're very excited about crowdfunding. Funding, which essentially is what uh, has already happened in uh, Crestone with the uh, the mayor crowdfunding it, uh, albeit on a, on a clipboard rather than an online platform. But under the uh, the, the Jobs Act, uh, crowdfunding will be a viable alternative. We also envision ourselves uh, crowdfunding uh, the infrastructure for a lot of these uh, communities. And uh, it's a matter of so take a community, do a pilot project, have a success story, take those lessons learned on to the next community, so on and so forth. And we have at least a dozen uh, counties on, on the short list that have uh, uh, crying needs for uh, broadband infrastructure. And we believe that we have the, the process and the, the ability to uh, satisfy those needs. Wow. There's an interesting um, n- new idea, which is – the, the crowdsourcing. I never heard it talked about in broadband terms before. Um, well, for the uninitiated, what what is crowdfunding? And I I am familiar with the the recent law that um, made made these a lot easier to execute. But there may be a lot of people who aren't familiar with these yet. Yeah, let's start out with an example of a uh, not terribly well, conceptually not terribly uh, sophisticated uh, uh, crowdfunding platform, uh, and I don't mean that derogatorily to our friends at Kickstarter. And Kickstarter is mostly for creatives. So let's say I've got a band and I want to produce a, a CD of our music, and we know that time in the studio is going to cost us. Uh, a few thousand dollars. Well, we go on to Kickstarter. We describe this, uh, uh, the, the new album that we're going to put out and uh, that we need X thousand dollars to, to get it done. And uh, we go uh, go to our, our fan base who in turn all go on to Kickstarter and say, yeah, I'll put up 20 bucks and uh, in exchange for an autographed uh, copy of the CD when it's when it's done. And, uh, and, and something like 70% of of uh, projects uh, on Kickstarter do get funded in that way. So mm-hmm. let's take that model to a small town with, uh, say, 500 households, and uh, we want to have a certain coverage. And we know that um, $100,000 would cover this. 
and how many people could we get putting in how much money and it's really kind of a matter of folks when we hit $100,000 we'll start working on that and so they can go to this online platform and in the case of a 501c12 uh, they can buy shares in the the co-op as it were and that then these different uh, so the co-op would get funded uh, the project would get funded by virtue of people uh, essentially buying shares so and what the jobs act is authored by none other than uh, uh, senator michael bennett democrat from colorado uh is that um under the if we all some of us are veterans of the uh, uh the telecom boom of the the late 90s and uh, all the uh, the stock m- uh, market up and ups and downs from that so what uh, came out of that um Sarbanes-Oxley basically said, well, you can't really go raise money uh, from just any any Joe Schmo. They have to be uh, certified investors and, uh, and filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. So what the Jobs Act does is that it says, well, yes, uh, John Q. Public can invest up to $10,000 of his or her money uh, in this without being a certified investor. So in theory, we have a, a website, i.e. an online platform, and uh, so people who are not certified investors as registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission can come in and put in upwards of $10,000, assuming it's not X percent of their total net worth or X percent of their uh, annual income. And this is uh, – so these uh, – then um, you've, you've got all this money that's available uh, to from – the public to drive this. So we'd like to think that uh, the communities that would be serviced would uh, be the investors in this, which in turn we hope would be build a community uh, sustainability model because it's the community's money going into it. It's not something from Wall Street. It's not a grant from Washington, but it's the community's money going into it. And it's the community uh, maintaining and ensuring that the money that they invested in their broadband uh, utility stays within the community, does not go off to Wall Street or to out-of-state investors, that it all happens there. Mm-hmm. So it brings in um, both this whole this new concept of crowdsourcing, which is Kickstarter is made famous and popular. Uh, you you have the community driven project, which basically ensures the uh, you know what what starts in the community stays in the community. Always a good point. Um, yep. And and a fairly logical um, rollout approach, which is actually being used by a number of uh, communities. In fact, I wrote a report a couple of months ago about alternative funding um, strategies, which basically breaks down one of those strategies is you you know you figure out what the total cost is, yeah, you estimate how much of that total cost you need for say community wide or county wide build out. Uh, you figure out what percentage of that you need to basically get started and to be able to sell a viable service. And so you get that, you invest that, you build a viable service, and you start, and then you expand to the rest of the community as that first build-out becomes popular and, and starts to generate more interest, et cetera, et cetera. And it becomes a leapfrogging effect. Right. Is that basically what you're describing? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ah, All right. Well, that makes a definitely a lot of sense. Now, Crestone, which I've heard about, um, is there's a, a co-op? Is that a, community, a municipal-run network? What exactly do they have? Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because this was the question. Is here, Colorado is one of the states where 
public entities cannot resell uh, telecom services, cannot Ooh, retail them. Yeah, and uh, one of these like 27 states of the, in the union that uh, that uh, prohibit that. So in this case, uh, it was like November 2010, and Mayor Ralph Abrams called me and uh, said, gosh, you know, our, our Internet stinks. And uh, so we uh, did some speed tests and found out, yeah, nobody's getting broadband down there. And, gee, Frank, what can I do? And, uh, well, Ralph, uh, in order, uh, we call it Senate Bill 152, a.k.a. the Quest Bill. And it was uh, mm-hmm. passed in uh, 2005. And, uh, well, Ralph, uh, you, the the town of Crestone, cannot get into the television. Uh, business courtesy of Senate Bill 152. Um, you could, under Senate Bill 152, have a ballot initiative and uh, where the majority, 53% of the those casting ballots, would, would have to approve your move into the, the telecom business. But uh, town manager, town council weren't real keen on, on that kind of concept. And But what Mayor Ralph did is he woke up one morning and said, well, I'm just going to have to go bypass that Senate Bill 152, and I'll start a an LLC, limited liability company, and I'll go out and raise money under this. We sell shares in it, and you can get in for as little as $100, and uh, if you put in $2,000, you can get voting rights on this. And sure enough, uh, he raised $100,000 from uh, 50 investors that way. So um, to answer your question, the workaround for states where public entities cannot be in the uh, the retail telecom business is to establish a, a non-public entity to do it. Is it uh, an LLC? Is it an S-Corp? Is it a non-profit? Just something that isn't uh, a local government. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is interesting to bring up because just yesterday – um, one of those states. So there's 19 states that have some sort of restrictive law. Uh, South Carolina decided they they would double down and kind of go back and make their restrictive law even more restrictive, and um, and so that passed yesterday. And uh, so you know I sat here today going, well, why don't you just build a co-op and say you know to heck with all that and and get around the issue and just move the ball forward. Yeah, exactly, because um, at the end of the day, uh, in my 50C12 uh, research, uh, I pulled up uh, all these articles of incorporation from, uh, in our case, we have 26 uh, rural telecommunications cooperatives, and we have something like a dozen rural electric cooperatives. So what's uh, the big boys going to do, try to try to outlaw rural telephone or rural electric cooperatives? outlaw uh, LLCs. Uh, I mean, what's not to like about small-town entrepreneurial startups? So it's just a matter of doing it under a different IRS uh, filing code. Mm-hmm. The, the the one right on a response I do kind of that hovers in the back of my mind is that um, – <clears throat> Telecom companies being thoroughly uncreative at creating broadband solutions tend to be very creative at at generating or building roadblocks to those who are building broadband networks. And so I think where the communities would have to be diligent is to make sure that, you know, somewhere out of far left field doesn't come some mandate of a, I don't know, some hoop or hurdle to go through before you can offer telecommunication services. And uh, which to me is kind of 
silly, but I mean, I think it's all it's within the realm of of possibility when you get ingenious minds working together that don't have anything better to do, and and so I think that's maybe a worry or, or something like that that people need to keep in the back of their head mind is, you know, let's not go totally asleep on this and, and, you know, ignore what's going on at the state house because ill winds could still blow no good coming out of there. Though this does seem to really, you know, trump a lot of the issue though, by virtue of it, you know, you know, it's, it's filing status and, um, you know, I mean, the worst comes to worst, you just create a totally private entity and that partners with the co-op, and then you got you know you double down on the private free market thing of well you know it's, these are a bunch of businesses, and right? There you go. That's <laughs> it. At the end of the day, it's just a business. Like I say, what's not to like about uh, boy? Uh, do you want to be the the state representative that goes in and says, well, gosh, only the monopoly can do this? I, I'm sure there are plenty of state representatives with the uh, the right amount of campaign contribution would introduce just about anything to to that effect. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can't let that stop you. And the other kind of words of encouragement uh, that goes back and forth between myself and the teams is, well, if we don't do something, nobody else will. So right. here's a little anecdote from uh, the the creation of the uh, San Luis uh, uh, San Luis Valley uh, Broadband Cooperative. So in March of 2011, we filed our paperwork for the, 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 the broadband cooperative. And at that time, there was really only one middle mile uh, coming into the, uh, the, the, the six-county uh, valley. But since that time, um, a cellular provider uh, built their own microwave, 400 megabit per second microwave. A uh, microwave provider out of Pergosa Springs built a 4 gigabit per second microwave uh, middle mile over uh, Wolf Creek Pass, something that if it were done by fiber, the rural legend had it that it would cost over $30 million to do. Then um, a Blanca Telephone, uh, also, uh, who also operates under the name GoJ, depending on the regulated and unregulated side, started uh, trenching fiber over the Eastern Pass, uh, Levita Pass, into the, 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 uh, uh, the valley. And we understand that a BTOP uh, grant E, EagleNet, uh, has also started uh, trenching fiber over Levita Pass, uh, over the Eastern things. So uh, that gives us now four uh, middle mile providers coming into the San Luis Valley, and uh, which is uh, tradi- about in many of the counties, fifty uh, percent of the households uh, speak Spanish. So our, our kind of uh, silly ethnic joke is to throw our hands up and go, "Es milagro! It's a miracle! All we had to do <laughs> is talk about this enough that uh, other people then came in. The private sector stepped up to it, in addition to this BTOP grantee, stepped up to the plate, invested." Uh, uh, loads of money and have built three additional middle miles into the San Luis Valley. So now we certainly have a situation of um, uh, where it, we have middle mile that is redundant, abundant, and affordable in the San Luis Valley. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, you're saying that your push for uh, the the co-op option, basically an alternative community-driven option has resulted in the private sector actually dealing with this probably out of fear for their um, fiscal lives, I would imagine. That's correct. Huh. Well, that's a good thing. We cannot we cannot argue about that one. So in the um, 
Back to to an earlier question, you know, getting all of these entities together. So you have, you know, some X number of co-ops and other uh, entities going around. What's what's the cat herding strategy here? How do you? Um, uh, I don't know. You've got them interested. Now you got to do it with the management stuff. You got to move this beast forward. How does that happen? Yeah, uh, plan, fund, build, repeat. Okay. <laughs> All right. Simple enough. Because basically, to, again, back to your uh, analogy of electric co-ops. So the 1930s, and here's another uh, thing I, I relate. And uh, uh, my my father and his siblings uh, were born in the late 20s and the early 30s. And so they very much re- uh, on a farm in Iowa. And they very much remember the Great Depression and uh, – uh, and ergo, my name is Franklin D. Ortman Jr. That's another uh-huh. story. Uh, but anyway, uh, kind of remember my aunt saying, you know, I remember it was a really cold morning in February, and Dad and the men uh, hitched up the teams, and they brought out all those poles. By teams, they mean horses. Uh, brought out those poles and that copper wire, and they put it all in together. And after a while, we had electricity, and we had telephone. So uh, I like to say we just translate 1938 into 2012, 2013. So like we're just the uh, the latter-day version of our, our, our parents and grandparents, our great-grandparents, in establishing, building our own infrastructure. Because uh, in this case, Washington, it's great that uh, Washington certainly provided a lot of funding uh, under the uh, Rural Electrification Act of 1938, but it was really those guys, their horses, uh, going out and building the infrastructure. So that's where we are today. Cool deal. Now the um, so Internet three. I did get a, get a present little presentation by email, and it lists out a number of entities that are uh, participating. The core of the the structure, in other words, I, you know, assuming I'm another state listening into this conversation and thinking, well, we we could do that in you know our state. Um, who makes up the core of the of the organization? You know, from a management, like you know, your your day-to-day management perspective. Yeah. Okay. There, there, of course, be uh, myself, and I have 20 years' experience in uh, telecommunications. Corey Brindle also has close to 20 years' uh, experience in uh, telecommunications. Uh, most much of it with IP routing and middle mile services. So that's we'll call ourselves admin. Then there's the board of directors, are um, the the serious leaders of the local technology planning team movement. And these are the people who either I called up and said, Hey, can you be in our local technology planning team? And they said, Heck, I I, I already am, or words to that effect. Or uh, so these are people with uh, individually each 20 to 30 years in uh, community organizing and nonprofits, as well as uh, funding economic development projects, etc. So uh, Corey and I will have some serious. Uh, um, adult supervision going forward on that. In addition, our strategic partners are companies like Skyworks, which is a microwave uh, middle mile provider, CECOM, which is the uh, telecommunications uh, uh, division of Southeast Colorado Power Association, a rural electric co-op, of which CECOM has had uh, uh, fiber optic services available to the almost all school buildings, not just school districts, all school buildings 
in a nine-county region of southeast Colorado, as well as others such as Tri-States Consulting and Generating and that, that sort of thing. So we have a series of, uh, of partners uh, going forward on this, even before we start uh, soliciting membership. Hmm. That is a pretty, um, pre- a pretty strong gathering of folks. How do you sort out people's roles? I mean, when you get again, when you get that many diverse folks with different, you know, bottom line interests involved here, uh, you got to make sure that the interests don't trip over each other. How do you, how do you keep that all straight? Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, we'll certainly uh, define that better going forward. But we kind of see it as far as what is one's function, what is one bringing to the table. If you think about uh, telecommunications ecosystem, so there's the core, i.e., how do you connect to the uh, to the outside world? There is the middle mile. There is last mile. And then none of that is meaningful without a serious study of adoption and making sure that there is kind of generating its own demand through adoption. So we kind of call that process uh, PIA. So it's policy, it's infrastructure, and adoption. So those are kind of the three functional areas that we'll work out with our strategic partners as well as co-op members as they join the co-op. Mm-hmm. And they all keep it together, and they check egos at the door, and everybody doesn't forget the main mission, and off we go. And that's uh, definitely a good uh, good thing. Now, in terms of keeping the various um, local co-ops on, uh, if not on the same page, at least under the same umbrella, do you do uh, meetings in which they all send representatives to, or how how do you keep them moving forward in the trenches? Yeah, basically there's uh, it, it varies from community to community as to do they meet monthly, do they meet uh, bi-monthly, uh, do they meet quarterly, that sort of thing. As to and then how hot is a topic at a given time? Is that okay? Well, we started the funding thing. Oh, we've started the uh, we've hired some engineers and we're doing some planning and that sort of thing. So uh, as I say, no one size fits all, and it all kind of has to be driven at at their own pace. Coolness, very cool. Uh, I have a technology question that's uh, floating around here. Um, yes, sir. Wireless. Are there co-ops for building wireless networks? And the reason I ask is because uh, in most conversations about co-ops, people always are describing, you know, a fiber project here, a fiber project there, whatever, whatever. But um, are co-ops being used to roll out, you know, either point-to-point, mesh, whatever the case may be, uh, these kinds of networks? Uh, short answer is yes. And uh, let me go back to the seven A's, and then as we aggregate resources or aggregate solutions, uh, subheading is using disruptive technology. And a very simple case of disruptive technology, using the Crestone example, is a matter of, well, Crestone is quite way the heck out there uh, as far as um, getting fiber to Crestone would be enormously expensive. But if you got uh, a gigabit per second microwave coming to it, and the gigabit per second microwave costs, say, two, somewhere between two and $300,000 versus tens of millions of dollars that it would take to bring uh, fiber to, to Crestone, that is extremely disruptive technology. And then that is the middle mile. Then if the last mile is uh, uh, fixed wireless, 
And if uh, a CPE, the, the subscriber device, customer premise equipment, is only $50, and the radio that services dozens of uh, accounts simultaneously is $250, uh, we have some very low cost. Basically, I wrote my master's thesis uh, on disruptive technology for my, uh, my master's in telecommunications from uh, Colorado University and uh, disruptive technology, and I highly recommend people not use that term unless they've actually read the book Innovator's Dilemma, and wherein uh, disruptive technology is described as being, defined as being uh, cheaper, simpler, smaller, more convenient to use. So mm -hmm. this is absolutely uh, you know, what you have to do in these rural communities uh, if you're going to be, as we like to say, rolling our own. And when you don't have tens of millions of dollars to do it, it's like you can do most of what you can do with fiber, with gigabit microwave and uh, fixed wireless. So gigabit microwave, what would that look like in a in a I don't know in a um, operational sense? I mean, from a budget standpoint, uh, I assume it's less. But you know, again, for the uninitiated, you know, when you say gigabit microwave, I don't know if you, I don't know if I've heard those two used in the same. No, well, it's it's relatively new technology. Okay. And uh, it's really come out only over like the last 18 months or so that this uh, these technologies have hit the market. So therefore, you know, it's it's not you you do have to be on the cutting edge of technology in order to serve these communities uh delivering more bang for the buck. So in the case of the uh, uh middle mile service that goes to uh, Crestone, it originates in uh, Pagosa Springs. So as the crow flies, that's a distance of over uh, well over 100 miles. And if you had to run fiber over that, it'd be, again, millions of dollars. And the, the rural legend that going over Wolf Creek Pass would be $30 million some dollars. And yet uh, this cost may be $300,000. So we're talking about 1% uh, of uh, the cost of fiber to do this, uh, to make this microwave uh, link. Hmm. That dramatic, huh? 1%. Wow. So it could be the new 1% solution. Yes, sir. Um, are we going to get people to, um, I don't know, get the fiber devotees to kind of, uh, I don't know, open up a little bit and not be so just automatically down, you know, bad-mouthing wireless? Or is this just going to be like a religious war that will last for 100 years? <laughs> yeah, well, it depends on your market. And um, the way I approached it is that uh, – working at the state under the SBI grant, knowing that I only had a few years to get things done and no budget for uh, capital infrastructure, is that I called it the prayer, and I still do, the prayer of St. Francis, is I solve the problems I can solve and know the, the ones that I can't solve. So raising millions of dollars and doing the planning would take a long time. And I'm uh, sometimes uh, accused of being an incrementalist uh, by my fiber devotees, but uh, I just don't see uh, any other way for our more rural and remote communities, uh, especially when you talk about a gigabit per second being available to uh, two to 300 households. That's quite a bit of bandwidth and does meet the near-term needs. Because mm -hmm. it's interesting. In my survey last year of um, economic development professionals, one of the questions I proposed was, um, you know, what what bandwidth 
do you need to affect a, a particular list I gave them of economic outcomes, you know, increasing jobs, increasing businesses, uh, you know, individuals starting home-based businesses, so forth and so on. What was interesting is that whereas in urban areas, uh, the, the economic development professionals there pretty much were on the higher end, you know, 500 megs, a gig, you know, 10 gigs, whatever. And but in, on, from the rural side, you know, a lot of folks said, you know, if we had 100 megabits, you know, that would cover us. I mean, the assumption anyway, based on the the, the feedback, was that you know it would it would uh, it would solve our needs for a sufficient time to then be able to move on to the next level. And I think when you look at the fact that you know the difference between uh, 100 megs and a gig is basically what. Um, electronics you put on, on the end of the cabling once the cabling is, is is put in the ground. So it's not really like you're building an entirely new network, but I think more importantly what it pointed to was that uh, maybe it's because of the sparse population, they're spread out, so forth and so on, you don't necessarily need the gig to support multiple people running high bandwidth applications. And so you can modify or or incrementalize, if that is such a word, your planning based on that reality. Is that a clear? I mean, a good assumption? Or yeah. Um, well, I have a number of uh, I have a range of answers. So what we saw in Crestone, yeah, in Crestone. Uh, well, uh, here, let me uh, plug a, a book that I'm working on, and it's in, uh, I've got another book I wrote before I came to work for the state, and I called it. Uh, you can still get it. it's available uh, on, on, as a Kindle download. Um, it's entitled, I'll Vote for You If You Make My iPhone Work. And I'm kind of laying out how you can't get 4G when your uh, telecommunications infrastructure is based on a 1980s uh, cell phone model. And I right. go into laying it out for the layman. is like, well, you know, if there's only one and a half megabits on a telephone company's T1 going to the cell tower, and you and three of your best friends want a 500 uh, kilobit per second YouTube session, well, you've just sucked down all the bandwidth that's uh, available there. So instead of hundreds of simultaneous cell phone calls, nobody has anything except you and your two friends getting uh, your, your YouTube experience. And, uh, and so I have another book in the works that I am going to entitle, uh, I'll Vote for You If You Make My Netflix Work. And uh, what I'm leading up to here is it's kind of a – when I go into the uh, community and have my initial meeting and without doing speed tests and doing a statistically correct uh, survey, I just kind of say, okay, what's your Netflix experience like? Do you, can, can you stream video? And uh, usually I'm going to set the bar at somewhere between 10 and 15 meg being available. And that's basically the the most popular package that uh, Crestone Telecom is, is finding. It's like people don't buy the most basic, simple uh, 5 megabit per second download uh, uh, product. They buy the mid-grade product. Uh, package that gives them somewhere between 10 and 15 uh, meg downloads. Great Netflix, and they can work from home. And in the case of Mayor Ralph's neighbor, Kevin, Kevin uh, is, is a, uh, a web developer, and so Kevin was really wanting to hire more people. He's getting plenty of business, but his internet connections were, were hopeless. You know, he'd get a T1, and he'd get one and a half meg, and he really couldn't get his, his product uh, up, uh, uploaded uh, quickly enough. But now he gets 20 meg, and he's ecstatic, and he's creating jobs in, in a town with 150 households. So I would say the the very 
bottom for economic development would be 10 to 15 meg available for those uh, home workers. And I was a home worker for nine years as a consultant. And uh, again, making my 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 uh, living off of the internet. So we'll set the floor at 10 to 15. And if you're a more intense uh, kind of a software videographer, uh, maybe you read uh, X-rays or that sort of thing, then you'll want to be in the hundreds of megs to be available to you as a as a consumer. Well, as a business service, obviously, you can't expect uh, uh, really inexpensive bandwidth in a rural community given the cost of the infrastructure. But uh, let's say that 100 meg could be purchased for a reasonable price in a, in a rural community. And then ultimately, uh, let's say you're a town of population, uh, you've got 1,000 households. Let's say that you should have at least a gigabit available to you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it is a it's kind of a different way. Well, it's not a different way per se. I think it's more of a um, coming back to the one size doesn't fit all discussion because I think that because of sound bites, you know, on the news and the way politicians live their sound bite driven lives, you know, we we tend to want to focus on one thing and then that one thing becomes it for everybody. And if you don't have that it, then you're kind of screwed. And what you're describing is the anti it. You know, it's yeah. like whoa. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. Interesting. Huh. So what's next for you for, for Internet three? I I probably I don't know if I had asked you like where where are you in the um I don't know, execution stage of, of Internet three? Uh are you guys up fully operational? Do you just have the core folks that are doing stuff but we got a lot more to do? What we what do we got going here? Yeah, we have core folks okay. with a lot more to do. So okay. uh, lots of admin things to get out of the way and then uh, start taking those those projects on. Now, in some respects, though, you're not necessarily building a network as you are facilitating its building um, in the various smaller communities. In other words, as you know, like, for example, I have Mid-Atlantic Broadband on here, and they're a co-op in, in Virginia, right? And they were you know, the co-op that is building the infrastructure, you know, as well as the planning, and they're building it, I think, countywide or maybe several counties, right? But your regional co-op is more of a facilitator than a builder. Is that correct, or are you doing both? That's correct. That's correct, because, or like we say a lot of times, if it was easy, somebody would have done it a long time ago. <laughs> or if, it was, if it was easy, some local private sector uh, entrepreneur would have taken care of this a long time ago. Or the telephone company would have taken care of it. The cable modem people would have taken care of it. The cellular providers would have come in and taken care of it if it was something easy. Uh, or it was just a matter of, oh, you know, we'll just do a round of funding on Wall Street and presto, we'll take care of rural Colorado. Wouldn't that be nice? But that's not reality. <laughs> that's not reality at all. Right. Uh, and so it really – yeah, so, yes, we are the facilitators because at the end of the day, we don't want to own the infrastructure. We want the the communities to own the infrastructure. That's the only way it can be sustainable is that they own their utility. They they own it. They operate it. And so, yes, we're the facilitators. Now, are you sort of the not the norm then for regional projects? Because uh, even, even with the guests I've had on the show – that are involved in a regional project, there is this concept that there, there will be a regional network, there will be a physical, call it umbrella, whereas you are more of a facilitator umbrella. Um, not that one is necessarily right or wrong per se, but 
is the norm tend to be, you know, we're going to build this massive thing that then we have to kind of build and fund and all the rest of it? Uh, let's go back to A number five of uh, the seven A's, aggregate resources. Uh-huh. So the question is, what might already be out there? Mm-hmm. So uh, as, as some of the complaints about some of the BTOP uh, construction projects was, well, wait a minute, you know, XYZ Farmers Co-op, uh, they had a USDA loan grant from a few years back, and they had something here, and then somebody from BTOP uh, hypothetically came in and hypothetically overbuilt them and that sort of thing. And so it's kind of a matter of in our facilitation process, it, again, and then I should also lump in A number two, assess the broadband environment, what's already out there? What, what can a community then uh, capitalize on what's already might already be in the ground, might already be around? So uh, let's use what's already there as opposed to thinking that we're, we're the, the first people to ever think about broadband for these communities. <laughs> because, you know, what we see even in rural Colorado, there's always a wave of something after something after something. And uh, so uh, here's another kind of, I call it, I used to call it rural legends of, I would go to uh, a meeting and a county commissioner or economic development director would get up and say, and there's fiber going down Highway 17. I saw them put it in there. And my first experience would be to look at them like they're relating their UFO sighting experience to me. <laughs> but after successful experiences of that, I believe that there's there's resources out there that uh, aren't readily available, uh, public or private sector, and that that needs to be researched and find what's already uh, in the ground or uh, uh, hanging on a tower, et cetera, and use what's already available that way. So as opposed to this, uh, we're the first people to ever think about broadband mentality. We need $100 million by Friday to to do this, this, and this. It's like, well, you know, if you kind of strung together what was already there, you might get most of what you want. Or what I also like to say, uh, you know, uh, better is the hereditary enemy of good enough. So uh, let's let's see what's already uh, good enough and and try to make that work. Mm-hmm. That is brings up a, a point uh, I wrote a column about I don't know a few few months ago, which is um, in large part due to the boom of fiber buildouts or fiber companies that were going to save the world back in the 90s that eventually went belly up. There has to be some untold, you know, thousands of miles of fiber that got started that exists, and clearly it hasn't gone anywhere. You know, it's sort of, you know, it's there. It's, it, it will always be there. But how do you go find that kind of stuff? Because that was, you know, umpty ump administrations, you know, mayoral administrations ago, and IT directors ago, and so forth. How would you find that stuff? Because I would think that that's a gold mine waiting to be unearthed. Yeah, and we um, this this came up in the uh, well. First of all, the the state legislature there was a bill it didn't pass, but there was a, leg- a bill that said uh, thou shalt go map all the uh, the, the state owned facilities that are already out there that might be underutilized, and I'm sure that's true in uh, all 50 states. The uh, the other term, I call it fiber forensics. So what if there was, and we know, again, being a veteran of the, the telecom boom, is that what if there was XYZ Telecom that laid fiber along high, the hypothetical Highway 17, 
And there's there's almost a business model for somebody to do what I call fiber forensics. So number one would be that you would uh, search the uh, the permitting uh, files of a, of a given county or right away filings with the Department of Transportation at whatever the state had, and uh, electronically determine that. Yeah, there's there was a right away filing by the XYZ Telecom and they in theory laid fiber there back in 1998 and in theory it should still be there and then that's where you call out the uh the archaeologist paleontologists and uh, they dig it up and uh, say yes uh, here's some fiber and oh yeah look uh, there's a little tag on it here it says XYZ Telecom uh, May 1998 um and then in and I'm not a lawyer. Do not take this as legal advice. Do not ever take legal advice from me. But um, uh, in theory, you're a county commissioner with a county attorney. You say, oh, looks like some abandoned assets here. We'll hereby condemn uh, this fiber asset in our right-of-way, which is owned by our taxpayers. And now this abandoned asset is now our asset. And uh, we'll bring in uh, Colonel Billy Bob, the auctioneer from the uh, the cattle auctions, and we'll auction this off to somebody who will light it up and bring broadband to our community. Whoa. There's a great scenario for a Friday afternoon. Exactly. I like that. <laughs> yeah. All right, we've got five, we have four minutes left here. Let's on the same train of thought. Let's talk about uh, the executive, uh, the president's executive order for dig ones. Is that going to help? Not help? You know, depends. How do you see that playing out? Uh, disclaimer: I have been really busy the last week or so, and really have not uh, dug into that. Okay. Um, sounds good, and particularly in a state like Colorado, where some significant percentage of our uh, rural and remote communities are in, on, or around uh, land that uh, federal land, uh, Forest Service, BL, Bureau of Land Management, etc. Uh, we can get access to those sort of things. That's that could be again back to a number five of the seven A's: aggregate resources. So if the federal government or federally funded uh, operations, I don't know, maybe Department of Transportation, depending on your state, uh, has these sort of things, then it's something certainly worth uh, any team or co-op or local uh, broadband activist to investigate as to, well, is there a way to get access to these sort of things? And or are there other sort of permitting processes that now are greatly streamlined so that I don't have to have a K Street lawyer to uh, help me get access to rights away on federal land or uh, access to towers? This is kind of the frequent thing you hear in the wireless community is that the accusations that federal offices of land managers, uh, whatever department they're under, uh, seem to take a long time approving uh, uh, permits to build uh, wireless towers on federal lands. But if that uh, and on our state, which is something like two-thirds is public land, uh, i.e. federal land, uh, that could be a huge boon for us. It just then becomes a question of how do you work the system to streamline that approval process. Exactly. Okay. Um, one, what do we got, about a minute, two minutes here? So uh, in 60 seconds... What should be the big takeaway for everyone who's listened to this show? How do I, sh- you know, show up on Monday morning, rejuvenated with a new vision, and and have some hope of moving that vision forward? Uh, two things. First of all, there's the three-part mantra, 
And then, of course, there's uh, the Sermon of the Seven A's. And I'll uh, yeah. run over them real quick and wrap them all up. So uh, the three-part mantra, all solutions are local, no one size fits all, it doesn't cost millions of dollars to bring broadband to your rural or remote community. Let me run through the seven A's very quickly. A number one, aggregate experience, that is get a good team going that knows what they're doing. Uh, number two, assess your environment. What do you really have out there? Uh, A number three, assess the demand. What kind of speeds are there? Do people want more? And A number four, aggregate demand. If people are whining about their broadband or not lack of broadband, then what is it they want and what will they pay for it? There is no uh, magic broadband pixie dust. It, it all costs money. And A number five, aggregate the resources that are already in your community. A number six, aggregate the solutions. That is, who are the service providers that are actually going to bring me broadband, bring it to my community? A number seven, once they do that, uh, how do we sustain this so that it's so that I have it, my kids have it, my grandkids have it, et cetera, we have a sustainable community. And wow, and that pretty much wraps us up. I appreciate all of your um, valuable insights. I appreciate the work that you guys are doing out there and wish you much success. And I expect to be talking, if not to you, definitely to some of your cohorts and partners in crime out there and, and get some more progress reports on what's going on in Colorado. So thank you. They're available. Super, Craig. Great. And thank you to our audience for uh, tuning in, downloading. Tell all your friends, you know, Gigabit Nation, we got it going on when it comes to broadband. Um, and also thanks to our sponsor, Hiawatha Broadband Communications. Have a great weekend. We'll talk again next week. Wireless is going to be a big topic next two weeks. <laughs>